You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Okay, so for those of you who are watching us, this is uh, Why We Do What We Do podcast crew and you two rhyming as much as I can. Not the band you two. That would, that would definitely get a lot of listeners. Surprise guest. Yeah, so we are, we are recording live, obviously, uh, but this is specifically in celebration of the three-year anniversary of this podcast. Yeah, congratulations, everyone. <laughs> and kind of accidentally in celebration of the birth of Kyle's daughter. So happy yeah. birthday. Yes, absolutely. Uh, little Miss Sturry, whose first name I don't know. Surprise Sturry. <laughs> So for those of you who are listening, uh, one of our, our team members, one of our writers, Kyle Sturry, I hope he doesn't mind sharing. Uh, he just had a, a baby daughter a couple hours, an hour ago, maybe pretty yeah. recently. Uh, he was going to be with us, but he's got more important things to do. So uh, we, are, we are here uh, to, uh, w- with him in spirit. Yes, he's, he's busy managing the miracle of life. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just needs a lot of management. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we are going to talk about uh, the podcast. We are going to ask people to participate with us. Uh, we've got a good, I think, docket of activities for today um, in, in terms of what we'd like to discuss and what we'd like to offer as a way of participating in this. I'm going to have to really be careful. There's no point in me beeping myself when we're not recording. For- yeah, it's a different workflow. Yeah, yeah, I got a different. I need a different orientation to this. So, I don't know. Should we introduce ourselves? Should we start there? Should we yeah. give an overview of what we're doing? Should we introduce ourselves as we go? What do you guys think? I think let's let's introduce everybody. Let's orient everybody to who we are and what we do. Deal. Then why? I like it. And why? Yeah. Then why? Yeah. <laughs> and why we do it? Who in the world? <laughs> who? What? When? Where? Why? How? Okay. So, um, I, I'll be I'll begin because I've been talking already, so I've got the momentum. <laughs> under my wings <laughs> uh all right so um my name is abraham i'm one of the hosts one of the creators uh wear many hats and uh and i i help steer the ship of this beast of the the podcast and, and i'm supposed to answer why or we haven't gotten there yet no that's later okay great so that's that's all you really need to know about me uh, <laughs> I've set it up really well for everybody as we. <laughs> if there's a commander, it is Abraham. All right, I'd like to introduce one of my most frequent co-hosts, uh, and that is Dr. Shane Spiker. So you can introduce yourself as well. Hey everyone, I'm Shane. I joined the podcast about episode 71. Um, so we were already a year old when I. So I'm kind of like an adopted <laughs> member of this crew, and um, I. Just love hanging out and, and talking about this stuff. It's been a blast for the last couple of years. So uh, met a lot of really cool people, learned a lot of really cool things, like learned the word prion. Never heard that in my life until we did that episode. So, and here we are now. Rad. All right. The next uh, the next host, there's really three of us for the most part, um, and that would be uh, Ryan O, which is obviously sort of a pun for Rhino, because you notice the giant horn on top of his head and the fact that he's a pachyderm. <laughs> <laughs> yo yo ryan o <laughs> so <laughs> um, <laughs> right so what's up folks um i would say i was probably pretty consistent until episode 71 <laughs> and then when <laughs> when there was relief coming in i became very inconsistent um 
but yeah, just digital nomad is how I describe myself now. Lover of behavioral science, behavior analysis, and I create a lot of stuff on the internet, whether it's videos, podcast stuff, um, and things like that. Been fascinated with how to try to engage in science communication as they describe it. So SciComm for short, and just kind of pursuing whatever medium and format I can do that in. So that's my life. That's me. I'll get to my why later. All right. One of the members of our team who works in the in the background of the recording, but really in the face of the actual, uh, I guess, life and lifeblood and presence of this thing is Amber. Uh, so Amber, if you would introduce yourself. Yes. Hey, everyone. My name is Amber, and um, I work behind the scenes in the social media um, and interact with you all on Instagram and not as much Facebook. Hopefully we'll get there, but I... Um, in there kind of being the behind the scenes person. Yeah. So if you hear, if you are talking to someone on, on those platforms, there's a good chance you are talking to Amber and, uh, and she helps. Uh, she, she really makes my life better because that way I don't have to be on Facebook, which is where uh, I don't <laughs> want to spend my time. Um, but I, to be fair, I am, I, I do, uh, not that I'm completely absent, I mostly monitor our email and our SoundCloud, uh, and I do look, uh, I do pay attention to the stats on Spotify, although it's not really interactive there. If you're a SoundCloud manager, are you then like a music manager or some sort of like legit manager? Does that come with that title? Sure. Are you dropping a mixtape? <laughs> yeah, we have plenty to do with mixtapes. <laughs> All right, and last and of course not least, one of our newest members uh, who has been helping us a lot this year specifically. Uh, I think you really came on right around January. Does that sound about right? Or have you been here since uh, 2019? Yeah, yeah, since like Thanksgiving, Christmas or so, and then really got going after the new year. Good timing. Perfect. I get my hol- all my <laughs> holidays mixed around. So um, so we we started breaking bread with Alan back around Thanksgiving, and uh, and so Alan has been, <laughs> no been with us since then, being a writer, so you can introduce yourself. Although I kind of already did, sorry. <laughs> As uh, Abraham said, uh, my name is Alan, uh, out in New York. Uh, behavior analysis disciple looking to find out how it fits into how and why rather it fits into all the other unseen parts of our life and the world around us and really enjoying finding out far too much about a lot of stuff. (laughs) That, that is the goal ultimately is to find out way too much about, especially like like kind of mundane things or things you wouldn't really think about. Uh, Prions I think are actually a really good example of that. No, I had no idea. No idea. And then an episode that to this day still gives me the creepy crawlies, which was when we did our episode on zombie fungus that takes over ants and stuff. I think Ryan and I did that one together. That's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That was freaky, actually. Yeah. It was (laughs) disconcerting. All right. Well, then, uh, perfect. Then we're in a really good position now, I think, to really transition to uh, what just an overview of what we're taking on today uh, in this particular group. So the theme of this is why. The question why, the word why, if you will, our podcast, if you're here at all, is uh, called uh, Why We Do What We Do. And I like this setup for we're coming up our three anniversary, taking on this particular question and just getting to get at the heart of, of why and then a few specific topics preceded by the question why. And uh, so what we're going to talk about is, is those topics. I'm going to start with a question why uh, we're going to pick a few topics um, we do have hopefully someone we're hoping they're going to make it as a special guest will show up. Um, surprise. It's John Krasinski. Just kidding. For some good news. <laughs> For some bad news. 
Here and here uh, only. That'd be great. Are we ready to begin? Let's do this. Think so. So as I said, I, I would like to actually take on specifically talking about the question why and what that word means. And it's it's one of those things where you might hear it and think that's stupid. Why would you want to talk about that? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like you you <laughs> you answered your question with your own question. <laughs> the reason that I think that this is important to discuss is because the the question why begets the answer because. And that's actually one of the reasons I put it in the title of the the podcast or why I thought it was a, a good title is it's actually not a good question. Because what that implies is a cause. Again, if it begets a because, then that implies that essentially there is some linear direction of events where you have one thing that precedes another thing that caused that thing to happen. And it seems like when we look at how the world works, that, that mostly is how things kind of flow. At least that's what it appears to be. But it, it implies, again, that there's a single variable that has a single effect, or may, maybe there's a couple of variables and a couple effects, but it, it implies this sort of narrow range of considering the variables that are related to the particular occurrence of an event. Okay. And so I'll just give you an example. Let's pick, pick something like, why do we feel jealous when we see someone else obtain success? And it may not even be something that we wanted to be successful at, but we nevertheless might feel jealousy when we see that happen. If we were to try and answer this question, why, one way that people will often go about answering things like this is neurology. We're going to look at the neurology model. Okay. So you look at person gets recognized for achievement, brain chemistry happens with neurotransmitters and hormones and synaptic clusters in the brain, and then your outcome, you feel jealous, right? That's sort of your linear progression. We've answered why. We have a thing that happened before this other thing. Therefore, we have cause-effect relation. However, I think it's important to also consider that that event could only happen if that person that, is, that we're jealous of received that recognition. So there was a variable there. We have to uh, consider, we have to understand that that recognition is a thing of value because there's the whole fame infamy thing, right? We probably don't want to be infamous, most of us. Um, we have to, this could only uh, that understanding could only arise from a history of learning to value a community's orientation toward value or what that value is, the thing that's being recognized. We have to belong to a culture that celebrates accomplishments. We have to have the availability of the neurotransmitters and the hormones and the synaptic processes for that to take place. We have to have some kind of history of learning or experience in some way that we missed an opportunity with something if somebody else got it there's also often this element of i want to make that person look a little less good than they do right now because by discrediting them that makes me look a little better especially to those who are maybe naive who are they are persuaded by your uh your tendency to try and talk down to someone who has accomplished something and and a ton of other variables right that could be going on and the, I only say all of this nonsense and confusing what sounds like White Tower philosophy crap <laughs> because there's so much going on in just asking the question, why do we feel jealousy, that it doesn't answer the question to say neurotransmitters. It doesn't even answer the question to say the context of the event. There are a lot of things going on. And I had this professor once who suggested that whenever you ask why, instead reframe it. Just take why out of there completely. And reframe it as under what conditions. And 
And what I like about that framework is that under what conditions means that you start looking for variables rather than looking for variable singular, right? So if I say under what conditions do we feel jealousy, then we start to identify when someone else has accomplished something, when it was an opportunity we feel like we maybe missed or would have done better or someone else maybe missed and should have done better. Um, and looking for, uh, oh, the, the neur neurology could be part of this. Uh, there's the cultural considerations there. We start looking for all those variables and we start considering what the situation is. And rather than it just being this, then this, then this, we're asking about what are the relevant features of the situation that had that effect be the case. And if you think about that in the context of psychology, that radically changes how we start to approach understanding the crazy crap that we see people do all the time. And we look at them and go, why? And I actually, for whatever reason, I personally get a really big kick out of listening to when I hear people on other podcasts or on the radio say why we do what we do, because that's the name of our show. And so I go, tee -hee, and it makes me giggle. <laughs> um, and then I think, wow, that was such a clever name. I'm so glad I chose it. And it, at the same time, I think a better question is under what conditions do we do it? And a lot of time that will influence an investigation that is more likely to answer those questions because we're no longer thinking about it linearly, but we're thinking about it contextually. There's only one other thing I want to say here before I'll, I'll, I'll pivot towards someone else so that I'm, I'm not hogging all the airtime and boring everyone to tears. But I think there's something in asking why that also implies blame. Because if you can have a single cause variable that is the one thing preceding this event, then we can point to that and say, that thing is responsible for this, for good or for ill. And I think that that can be problematic. And it, it allows us to lose sight of what's important when we get focused around pointing blame. And I, and I, get, I get very annoyed at people at a time when they, all they want to do is point the finger. And then once they've pointed the finger, they said, oh, it's your fault. Ugh my job is done. I'm like, no, <laughs> what? you didn't accomplish anything. You pointed at someone that doesn't solve the problem. And so I don't, I don't think that there's utility in a type of activity, like asking why that results then in something that is still fruit fruitless. <laughs> so we got something useless that results in something else useless. So my recommendation, we're not doing the recommendation section right now. Maybe not this whole episode. I don't know. But what I would prescribe instead is that you say, under what conditions? When you find yourself compelled to ask why, ask under what conditions and see if that changes anything for how you start thinking about that. You'll start to not search or uh, that forces us to search for those contextually relevant um, variables with no necessity to try and assign blame um, and instead might inform how to change those variables to alter the outcome next time if that's something that's important in that particular context. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. I think the way that you frame that makes it so that we have a line of inquiry to follow and not just a stopping point. And I think that is one of the best things about being a scientist is that we don't have a stopping point. And, and the question of under what conditions allows us to continue that line of inquiry. Yeah, find those conditions. And that's why we frame what we frame. <laughs> Which is the new name of the current podcast. <laughs> that's the name of my framing store that I'm opening. <laughs> we had a couple right. comments from uh, Selena and Jenny Lee saying they love this and like appreciate the reframing of the why question. Cool. Thank you. It's good stuff. Yeah, I love it. 
So on the topic of under what conditions or the question why, we wanted to kind of put this together to celebrate first that we're celebrating three years with the podcast, which is a big deal. And and, and a huge thank you to kind of everybody. And we wanted to bring everybody to our birthday party, even though people couldn't be here. But the other thing is we started wanting to analyze the question of why in the sense of um, specific topics. So what we've done tonight is all of us have a specific topic that we're going to touch on. We're going to touch on why this, why that. Um, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun because it'll give you kind of an idea of um, our voices as people working in the podcast, um, but also a lot of fun about topics that we're just kind of interested in and seeing how we research this stuff. So um, we're really excited to kind of talk about this stuff. I can't wait to talk about boogers. <laughs> and laugh like that. <laughs> why we pick what we pick. There you go. All right. Um, so I actually had up next, if you are ready, Alan, can you tell us about your subject? Right on. So you probably are getting pretty sick and tired of seeing those those emails from like Geico, Best Buy, Duncan and whatnot that start with something to the effect of in these unprecedented times, like at the beginning <laughs> of a movie trailer. And quite often they're talking about the pandemic at hand. But really, I think the thing that is frustrating people more is this unprecedented free time. This is actually the unprecedented times that we've never experienced before. Like you've never had this much time to just do wide open or literally whatever, you know, you can put your mind to, um, you know, you're not commuting, you're not going to happy hours, not going to gym sessions. And that just opens up a ridiculous amount of time. So what happens now? Well, a lot of people are complaining on Twitter and in person and even right at home that they're wildly bored. So what is boredom? Why does it exist? Why does it occur? Does it exist? And uh, are we? Who's more prone to get it? And how can we get rid of it? That's what we are going to explore. Um, so before you slump on the couch and cry out loud that you are bored, let's consider the fact that from a behavioral perspective, you're never really doing nothing, right? Otherwise, you'd be dead. So at any given moment, you actually are behaving in one way or another. You know, how can you ever say that you truly are bored? Even when I'm asleep. Even when you're asleep. Should we uh, go over the dead man's test? Go with it. Unless a dead man can do it, it's behavior. Or I might have misinterpreted that one. <laughs> can a dead man do it? That's how we frame it. Yeah. You had it right. You just said it the, the backwards way. The backwards yeah, way. Yeah, you're there. All up. <laughs> um, but boredom, as we conventionally know it, though, is kind of still a relatively new concept. If you look back in history and all the way up to not too long ago, our ancestors were spending more of their time doing much more important things like finding food, finding shelter, keeping away from bears and whatever else, you know, attracted <laughs> them in the wild. Um, we have the luxury of being able to sit in a line at Dunkin' Donuts or on the subway train and need to pull out our phone and, you know, go on Instagram or Facebook or something like that. But how often does anybody really allow themselves to be truly idle doing quote unquote nothing? It's just not something that you see anymore, particularly with the smartphone uh, invention. You know, you're on your phone while you're cooking, you're listening to hopefully our podcast while you're shopping or in your car or you're reading a book on a train. You're never really doing nothing. Um, and in those examples, and I thought this would be interesting to discuss, it's really hard to tell if you are truly killing time, enjoying free time, or curing boredom. I wanted to pose that one up to you guys, see what you thought the differences might be. Can you guys reframe it one more time? Sorry. It's hard to tell, given anything like, say, you're reading a book on a train or doing anything while you're doing something else. Are you killing time, enjoying free time, or curing your boredom? I legitimately love free time. Like, I spend a lot of time reading and listening to music and stuff. Like, when I'm in my free time, I'm, like, in it. Like, D, none of the above. Go on. Oh, controversial. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Well, I think you aren't technically doing anything to time, actually. So, um, and I'm also not sure. I mean, I suppose you could say you're enjoying free time, but it's hard to say whether or not you're enjoying it just based on that description. So I, th 
I think you are doing something in the context in which there is little opportunity to do something else and little pressure to do something else. That's my very long-winded answer. <laughs> right. And we shall see. I mean, people spend it different ways. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with what preceded it. You know, if we're looking at the conditions that caused anything to happen, you know, why are we doing it? Are we doing it because there was nothing actively happening because someone told us to go find something to do like everybody's mother in summer break back when they were a kid? Or are you finding, you know, another reason that you have to do it? Uh, boredom, however, more scientifically is defined by APA.org as a temporary emotional state of unpleasant feelings, lacking interest in completing activities, and problems paying attention. And what they really kind of highlight is the difference between that and apathy. Apathy being people that seem generally uninterested in most available options, but boredom are full of a wonderful group of people that are just desperately finding something to do. So they're actually taking a little bit more proactive approach in it um, and trying to fill that void. Uh, I think that void comes back to behavior analysis in a big way. We're talking about some sort of deprivation, something you haven't been able to do. And here's this free time to do it. We're going to see what you haven't done recently. But, you know, we'll get to that. Uh, They also talk about it in terms of attention. So a bored person doesn't necessarily have nothing to do. They just want to be stimulated. Um, But they're unable, for whatever reason, to connect with their environment in that way to feel feel that border. So it doesn't necessarily involve having nothing to do. It could just mean failing to engage with anything sufficiently. So what's the problem? How come you can't find anything to do? Is it the lack of an enriched environment? You know, do you not have anything cool at your disposal? Um, but that's not necessarily the case. And it also doesn't mean that you're sitting in a straitjacket in a locked room with nothing available. Um, it could just be that there's a high level of motivation and you can't find anything to satisfy it. Uh, I think a lot of people are finding that now. Uh, you could look around your room where a lot of people are at their parents' house and they're saying, how come everything that used to entertain me suddenly sucks? Uh, yeah, you know, you have all these things available and you're like, this was fun three months ago and no longer, you know, why is that? I don't know if anybody else here is experiencing that. Not had that experience yet, but very afraid that it's going to happen. Yeah. We're in a similar boat. And it really comes down to also two other things. Um, problem of things formerly associated with fun things or too much of them. So to break this down further, uh, there's two things that I've, I found to be kind of associated with this. This is the idea of secondary reinforcers which is just something that is usually paired with, uh, you know, the, the usual maintaining variable there. So the, the good example that someone once told me was you, you don't really ever play darts by yourself. Like maybe you're a sociopath in your basement and you really like darts or whatever, but generally you're at a bar, you're drinking, you're having a good time. I like to say, you know, you're never playing beer pong by yourself. I've never seen anybody do that. Don't know why you would ever would. <laughs> usually at a party, there's a lot of you know, pressure. You're trying to impress somebody and there you go. And it's off. Uh, you might listen to podcasts at the gym, read on the train, those examples that I said before. Uh, you might go to a movie specifically in a theater versus watching something streaming on your, on your TV at home. So a lot of things are just no longer fun if they don't involve those things. You know, if you can't go to work and you're doing work uh, remotely, maybe it's not as fun because your, your students aren't there, your colleagues aren't there. So it decreases the value. It's really not as enjoyable anymore. Or satiation. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. I don't know where that comes from. People say it. I think it's true. Um, things just become absolutely boring as hell and behaviorally, we know that this is bound to occur with even the best of things. And I think it just comes back to also that we need a little novelty in our lives. You know, things have to change. You got to see someone else besides whoever's at home with you. Or, and if you're at home alone, someone besides who's in the mirror, I met. Um, but how do we work with that while stuck at home? I think finding those things, whether they're in your basement or attic, uh, or that 
behind a curtain, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I have a 360 at home that I haven't touched in years, and I got sick of reading in movies after a couple weeks into the quarantine, and now I'm playing Black Ops and yelling at my spouse and the TV and ignoring everybody. You know, things you never thought would happen, and here we are. So now is your time to dig out your Tony Hawk Pro Skater disc that's not scratched and get going. Best soundtracks ever. Absolutely. <laughs> There's also the element of signals. Um, call it what you want, multiple schedule or discrimination. There's not a lot going on to tell you what date is or what time it is for any given task or work. You know, you're not waking up to your alarm. You don't even know what date is. Uh, most people at the Aston these days and the, you know, the news doesn't change and the weather is as crappy as it always was in the spring. There's not a lot going on. So that's completely out the window and you're stuck here trying to figure out what to do, you know, what and when to do things like watch TV, work, play with your kids. No one's really telling you that. And all of a sudden you, you would think, oh, I'd love to watch TV at some point or something, but you might need somebody to tell you or your own self to tell you to do these things, even just leisure things. They used to relax. There was an article also that mentioned that fun is really about the escape. They said breaking away from daily stressors and focusing on enjoying the environment, the moment. So without the tediousness of a regular life full of responsibility, particularly for adults, what role does leisure play anymore? So if you can't run away to escape, to have a good time, to, to be able to escape your responsibilities, is it, does it even have any value anymore? What do you guys think? That's a great question. I love that. Anybody else have any thoughts? I see Abraham thinking. Resting think face. <laughs> we have a comment from Lena. I hope it's tying in because I've been so focused on that. Sorry, it's hard to keep 100% up. So Lena says, how about escape and avoidance from the usual helping this being bored actually become a very positive good thing? It helps the too much of a good thing become a bad thing or it slows it way down. Yeah, I mean, I think from the perspective of like, Boredom is probably a good thing. It probably signals that like we probably uh, fill our lives with prob- with maybe too much stimuli. And so uh, when we aren't constantly stimulated, we have a problem with just kind of slowing down a little bit and having a moment. I, and it could be healthy. You know, you might, I think it's all to the individual um, and what their, their threshold is for working too hard. You know, if you start to see those negative effects in different parts of their life, their relationships with their family or um i'll go into this in a second if you start to see negative um behaviors start to occur anything like substance abuse gambling um addictions and and whatnot any sedentary behavior that arises um some of the articles that we looked into mentioned that boredom does have both its negative and positive effects it just depends on the person and obviously that can go deeper and deeper as um abraham said back into all the conditions that preceded them to this point um given that People generally go back and forth between polarized states of uh, being highly engaged with things and then being, you know, stepped back and quote unquote relaxing. Um, you know, they need to kind of find something. And what ends up happening to too many people is in the absence of structure in that moment, they resort to sedentary, destructive behavior, like I said. And that can lead to correlations with suicide, depression, psychosis, um, and a couple of other unfortunate things. Um, in the absence of that structure, people kind of seem to conform to unfamiliar surroundings in really unconventional ways. And I think you see that a lot in children too, uh, which is why there's such a high encouragement to, for students to be engaged after school, you know, extracurricular activities, things on the weekends, be it religious, athletic, and so on and so forth. The idea being that if you're able to find a community, find a tribe, that thing's going to provide all these resources and activities for you. You shouldn't ever necessarily be bored and it shouldn't be a risk for you to find some bad uh, resources. The positive, the silver lining on 
the effects of boredom is it actually might lead you to interact with things for the very first time in your environment. So you might practice that instrument that you've had on your wall and never taught, uh, never you know touched for years on end, or learn a foreign language. Uh, right now, specifically, is a good time to hit up those people from college or high school you haven't seen in forever. They're not busy either, so we're all caught in this together, which is a very big benefit. Um, and it, you know, being bored might stimulate activity in a very novel way or teach you to train your attention a little bit better, or sorry, concentration a little bit better. And so people that are a little bit more fluent in these self-control skills might help break out of boredom a lot better and use it as a catalyst to get something done. Uh, there were a lot of examples of people that wrote great poetry or wrote a great song when they were bored out of their mind, um, which I think we can probably think of several examples of. You see that a lot. I think that's actually how the book Frankenstein was written, if I remember correctly. Some, something like that, where really? they were like stuck inside during crappy weather. And, uh, and Mary Shelley wrote that when she was like 19 or something ridiculous. That is accurate, and it is wonderful. <laughs> so I think, you know, we look to see what can we as behavior analysts do or suggest to people that are bored and struggling with this, particularly during this time. Um, and again, some of it is just reaching out to your environment, and the environment will kind of feed you back um, those, those signals. Uh, if you're talking to somebody that you haven't seen in a long time, you know, that might foster a lot of other opportunities, whether it be a job or just, you know, a joke or something simple like that, something that kind of keeps you going and creates that novelty that I mentioned before. Um, if you're looking something a little bit more molecular on, on a daily basis, though, creating a to-do list is something that we do every day at work or for any um, professional needs, but we don't think to do it for our own fun. But that could actually be very helpful in kind of setting up your day, you know, making it look like your traditional work schedule. The idea that I actually think the, the, the question before was bringing up is could this kind of be, you know... Um, eye-opening experience where we were like, oh my God, are we working too much? We don't know. We never slow down and we don't know what to do with ourselves when we slow down. And I think that is a good question um, and, and bears some discussion and self-reflection about how you do spend your time. Um, but for people that are not as fluent as setting up their day effectively or to really enrich them, their environment, I think that they need a little bit more structure. So just to give some you know, general examples too, you know, uh, doing a work around your house. I, I've heard that Home Depot and Lowe's are absolutely inundated with people for some reason during this crisis. And that's because I think people that have been staring at that wall and that shelf or that unfinished closet door are finally saying, now's the time. So now's the time, you know, get together with your, your sons, your daughters and your family and, and fix that, that leaky whatever and put it on your list and cross it off. And it will actually probably signal, it's the closest thing that can signal that time is passing and that you've actually been productive they actually just have daily parties at home depot that are just a lot of fun music <laughs> and raving and snacks <laughs> and we've been missing those the whole time <laughs> just kidding <laughs> the cure is at home depot <laughs> the band there is not a dimension or universe where the cure is hanging out at home depot <laughs> <laughs> just kidding just kidding just kidding but yeah you know essentially in closing it it's in the places that you least expect it if you find yourself staring at the wall paint the damn wall you know, like do something crazy, switch things up and, you know, look back on all the things you've said you were going to do your whole life. There's no better time than now. And uh, that's where I leave it. I like those words of wisdom. Throw darts at the wall. That's what I think. Throw darts at the wall. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, is that allowed if you're by yourself and you want to become a, a dart master? <laughs> because you preface that <laughs> with you shouldn't be doing it by yourself. So I feel like we just isolated the beer pong and... And dart enthusiasts are trying to get better right now. That's true. Yeah, they're they're at home practicing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
the Olympics are a year away. You got extra time. I had a friend learn to <laughs> juggle during all this. Like she was like, I'm, I, there's nothing else to do. And she went out and bought juggling balls and learned to juggle. That's awesome. I love that. I do want to, uh, there's a couple of comments I really liked. So, uh, Samantha P I'm gonna leave it there. Uh, said, I can't say board feels like I 100% hear that. I don't know. I wouldn't recognize boredom if it happened to me. I, I don't like, I always, <laughs> always do something. Um, and honestly, even things that like are kind of lazy, like that feels like fun to me, which speaks to, uh, Lena did follow up and said, um, there's a component of escape from busy life. So it won't become a bad thing anytime soon. Um, it slows way down that this much free time will become a bad thing. And then we had, um, <laughs> Megan asking how much time I spent time I spent playing games. Unfortunately, Megan, I don't have any control over my time that is not work time, and the person who does have control over that does not want to play games. So there, it's it's been <laughs> about three hours in the last month and a half. Oh man, what are you doing? That's not like you. I know. You need a new time controller. <laughs> <laughs> you need to shake up those hours, readjust them. And then uh, Lena followed up with the issue is that uh, people are hurting themselves more trying to fix their homes. So much for social distancing. That's pretty great. <laughs> we, we're coming back to that. That's a great topic. And then also Matt chimed in with sounds like the useless distinction between positive and negative reinforcement, which I think is um, a, a good point. Um, and then Kyle also sends hugs and kisses from the hospital with a little Yay! Uh, baby formula bottle emojis. Um, I feel like it should have been boob emojis, but maybe that wouldn't, maybe there aren't boob emojis. <laughs> There's, yeah, there's probably not right now. That's, yeah, yeah. I, I guess that'd probably be overused pretty much immediately. So, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you very much, Alan. I appreciate that. Thank you, everyone who is chiming in in their comments. Um, I would love to transition really quick because I I think it would be great to have Shane take on his topic. And our guest has arrived, so I'd like to take a minute, Mike, if you are still there and available uh, for uh, Mike to join us. This is one of our oldest, um, as in longest lasting, uh, Patreon peeps and, uh, and has been, um, pretty much the only person we really talk with on our discord server, although we'd love to, if people are, are, would like to join us there, we'd love to have you. Um, so anyway, Mike, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having that background. Yeah, that is a pretty sweet background. Yeah. I think you have a green screen up behind me. Nice. So I, I was trying to think of something to put up. I'm like, I, I could put the logo, but I'm like, I don't know if that might look like I'm actually there with you guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, tell us a little about, about yourself and what you do. If you don't mind. So um, I'm a security consultant. Cool. Nothing to do with behavior in terms of like, like I think the only behavioral science class or the only psychology class I ever took in college because as a computer science major was like intro to behavioral neuroscience. So which was in like an undergrad, uh, like GE and stuff like that. So um I spend my day doing a lot of things that end in um, that are online. So I do a lot of cybersecurity stuff. But then the flip side of that is I also do uh, human security, not like guard work, but uh, uh, well, so the trade name for it is called elicitation and interview. So uh, uh, sometimes also called human source intelligence. So getting people, getting information out of people, working with humans, that type of stuff. It's kind of a balance of the two. So and then. One of my customers is a training customer. Like we do, we teach classes for them in, in cybersecurity, and actually that's where I was at today. So I was teaching a uh, class online because obviously we're not going to be doing anything live right now. Yeah. So yeah, that's what took me to. I had to go home after that. So because I'm because my apartment is actually normally too uh, noisy to do a full day broadcast. So <laughs> I'm actually running it out of a hotel around the corner. Whoa. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that's cool. I get to commute home and then and then yeah, go online here. 
Yeah. I was going to say, this is so cool because, first of all, you're here with us. I was literally texting Abraham, like, who's Mike? Because <laughs> because I, I, I thought off of your handle that you use that it was somebody else entirely. So I was so far off. It's yeah. amazing to, like, actually meet and chat and see, like, face-to-face now. So, um, or digital face-to-face. So thank you. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. It's quite an honor. And it's so cool what you do. Yeah. It's so different. I, I'm really curious. How how did you get into that line when of work? the cybersecurity stuff or... Yeah, yeah. I, well, yeah, both. So the security stuff, I've always been kind of interested in it. Like, uh, like when I was a little kid, so I have an uncle. My one of my uncles is a uh, software developer, and so he realized that I had an interest in computers when I was a young kid. Um, and I mean, he got me a book on programming. I think when I was in sixth grade, somewhere around there, right, fifth or sixth grade, something like that. And okay. then growing up, one of my dad or one of my friend's dads worked in uh, worked for a company. Uh, well, it's now called Boeing. But back then it was, uh, I think, uh, Rockwell or Rocketdyne or something like that. So a, a large government contractor. And he did a lot of tech work for them. And so he kind of mentored me a little bit when I was younger and then just kept doing it and was interesting. And yeah, just kind of eventually found my way into this type of stuff. So Neat. I love that that's like the behavior analyst story. It's like, here's a thing I was kind of interested in or found like an interest and I fell into this field. Like that's how I almost can guarantee every behavior analyst I've ever met has had that story. Where they're like, oh, this is a th- this thing that sounds cool, and then you end up getting into it, even though you had like a kind of previous interest. That's great. Yeah, and then the behavioral component is um, the closest normal term for the security, uh, the behavioral component of security stuff is what we call social engineering. So, um, but in security, it's what I call the four Ps: uh, phone call, or it's primarily focused on phishing, so like phishing emails and stuff like that, phone calls, or trying to like get people's passwords or, over the phone, or getting them to go to websites pop psychology and pseudoscience that kind of sums up uh like social like the scientific component of social engineering it's uh uh, phishing phone calls pop psychology and pseudoscience because there's a lot of talk about nlp right and and like neuro-linguistic programming not natural language (laughs) so um (laughs) and uh like you know i i uh i gaze or uh, i gaze directions and all that baloney to go with it and hypnosis and subliminal blah 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 so um it's interesting because I actually was talking with a friend of mine who uh, uh, who works for a uh, large organization back in the East Coast, and we were talking last night about social engineering, and because uh, he's a, he was a psych student in college, right? And so um, we we're talking about some of the differences between what actually happens in like actual science versus like just the general pop psychology, the Malcolm Gladwell style um, <laughs> general knowledge. So wow, it's kind of interesting. Cool, man. And uh, how did you sort of find your way to our podcast? You know, it's been so long, I don't remember. Oh, okay. That's okay. <laughs> I've been listening to you guys for, I mean, I think it was shortly after you guys started. Okay. Many episodes available. I just remember that. And I've, I mean, I've listened to all of them. So I usually listen to them when I'm either commuting instead of in Los Angeles or because I go to DC a lot for work. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's been at least a handful of years. Probably just found it by searching through iP- the uh, iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Perfect. I have a question because I, I really want to try to pit the hosts against each other. <laughs> so do you have a favorite episode? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. This one I'm going to have to go through and look. Um, <laughs> and if you say Shane, I'm flying to Florida. And we're fighting. <laughs> <laughs> that's for our fourth birthday yeah 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 we do an episode on bare knuckle boxing yeah, yeah. 
was going to say, it depends. Am I making money off of this? <laughs> so one of the earliest ones that I remember that really piqued my attention, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's my favorite per se, but it's definitely one that I've thought about a lot, was the one where you guys talked about uh, interview and interrogation, where you talked about read technique. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because so, I have a background with that. And then cool. um, there was another one that I know was standing out in my mind that I was actually really liking a lot. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to get back to you on that one. I'm, I've got to scroll through because you guys have a bunch. Of, <laughs> I mean, you have a bunch of episodes now. So Yeah, yeah. We're up to 154, I think, just came out today. 153, maybe. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So as we're, as we're coming up on, as this is our recording for our three-year anniversary which doing a podcast for three years we've already beat the odds for most people who start a new podcast which i'm pretty excited about you didn't even beat the odds you're like eight times past the odds do you realize that okay Uh, (laughs) true okay just to be clear here and we will hit 200 episodes later this year i calculated it out i think it's i think it's august um that we'll hit 200 something like that it might it might be um a little bit later but um which is wild. Like that's so many. <laughs> yeah. So that's very impressive, especially to keep on like that much of a consistent schedule. It's only possible because we have a group of people um, that, that participate in this. That's been clear. Yeah. Yeah. And we get, and we get a lot of feedback and we get people who listen to it regularly. I mean, that's a big part of, I mean, we look at every week we look at like, you know, listener mail and we look at our comments and we look at that stuff to kind of really see what people are interested in, what's working, what's not working. And I mean, that's a big part of what drives the show too. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I'd love to, um, if you can stick around, Mike, I want to include you in a, in a, a sort of group conversation we're going to have a bit later. And I want to transition, make sure we have a, an opportunity for, for Shane and Amber to cover their their whys uh, as we go through that. So I don't know if you sort of heard the theme of this episode is where uh, we're sort of asking why questions. And I, I posed the beginning of this with uh, understanding the question why, what that means, and reframing it instead as under what conditions uh, so far, you came came in when Alan was talking about um, boredom, um, and ironically, was not boring. And uh, <laughs> and so the next the next one I actually have slated to talk about is um, for um, what did I have? Oh, I had uh, Amber talking about uh, physical distancing or social distancing. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Go for it. Sure. Go for it. Yeah. 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 Let's do it. Okay, so my topic is why we social distance. Um, Very relevant, I think, as of today. And um, why we don't, too. So why some people choose maybe not to social distance. Um, Finding out and knowing why um, is super important in order to do or not do, right? So our immune system basically is defenseless without a vaccine. So social distancing is our first and foremost um, step in creating a defense line. Um, because of the way that the virus works. If you're not familiar, viruses, they spread through droplets. So this is um, recommendations from the CDC. Um, They spread through droplets when someone sneezes or coughs. Um, And recent studies show that it could go up to even four meters. And so in distancing, that creates our first step of limiting the chance of being infected right so all right now just because of the fact that um we don't know too much about it the spreadability is high and um, the number of people affected is high so we need to respond based on um based on probability or risk factors and by distancing ourselves 
we decrease the probability or the risk chance of getting infected um, by the virus. So crowds equal greater number of probability of infection, right? Greater opportunity um, because greater numbers of contact. Um, but there are so many variables to consider in the way that um, a virus works in even being infected. So if you are closer, you have a higher probability of getting infected. And then if you're farther, you have a lesser probability of getting affected. And then each contact again, like if you're in the grocery store, um, there's a certain number of people. So there's so many different variables to consider when you consider probability and rates of infection. Um, and then, you know, one thing too, being like personal hygiene. So everybody varies in their personal hygiene. So, and you know, whether they choose to wear a mask, whether they choose to cover their mouth or not, you never really know. And so um, outside of, you know, the control of other people, our own control is to choose to social distance um, if, if we want to do that in order to limit our own probability. If, if we can't control the way that other people choose to control their probability of spreading it, right? We can decrease our probability of not getting it. Um, and so overall, um, that's very important because then that will not only decrease the probability of us individually, but globally too, and in community in large numbers too. So if we each choose to, then we can decrease the rate and, or slow the spread, right, as the term is that, that is being thrown out there. Um, now, why we choose not to, I, I hypothesize a few different um, behavioral responses. One, maybe because we don't necessarily really truly understand um, why social distancing is important. So we have, there's no value to it to us. We don't understand the way viruses work. We don't understand the importance or, or the fact that it is um, a really effective defense without um, a vaccine. But then also the lack of um, maybe ability. So we just, maybe it's just too difficult. We choose not to. Um, there could be some you know, severe um, or adverse situations. So if we're talking about staying at home um, versus going out to friends or things like that, there may be adverse situations at home. So like a negative reinforcement contingency, um, or they may be in like a se severe state of deprivation um, of social contact or things like that, leading to like the mental illnesses, similar to kind of what you're, you know, kind of going into depression, things like that, that you were talking about earlier, Alan. Um, and then maybe also then need for resources too, right? So like if you have to, you're low on food, your things like that, you like you have to risk that so you get into that risk factor of like, okay, I need to go into the store. I need to be around people in order to get things that I actually physically need, our primary reinforcers, right? Um, so then there's that. And then also just I think the disbelief of the the validity, you know, of the threat. You know, so some people are just like, okay, there's all these conspiracy theories and things like that as to whether or not it's even a real thing or not like or anything like that so those are maybe perhaps some of the reasons that we we choose not to distance or we we don't um you know and our beaches are valuable and so sometimes i think we just don't recognize the risk that's what it, it's, it's it's hard when it's invisible right you can't actually physically see the adverse effect and so it's very delayed um so that's why we are called to social distance but then also maybe some of the reasons why we don't social distance awesome good work yeah yeah i think uh yeah and to, to your point and just to elaborate a little bit more on exactly what you were saying is 
that that miss that the information, if you will, that people receive telling them your risk is low, this isn't a big deal, uh, and basically capitalizing on you have motivation to like uh, even those of us who are like we know it's important we want to stay inside we also have motivation to get out of here (laughs) and so the people who come in and tell you and those those platforms like you know like this sucks we shouldn't have to do this like let's get out of here they're trying to capitalize on the emotional and the sort of intrinsic motivation that's been built up over time of like anything that are not the four walls of my room are is going to be valuable now and so when you don't have a a real good frame of uh or i guess a good source of valid and useful information then it's very easy to hear those things and be motivated and be persuaded to be like these people are saying it's okay and they're saying like hey let's get out there like there's a world that we've left behind and it's really awesome um and so i can i can definitely see to that point of that uh being misled if you will Absolutely. Even even myself, when I was looking into it, too, I think um, once I actually look into the numbers and and the spreadability of it um, and the fact that and and how it actually does different than, you know, currently the virus that we're facing now is different than viruses before um, it. it, The the rate is is so high that it, it increased my even the value of me wanting to social distance because of the fact that I was like, okay, wow, it it's more than what I had even thought, you know, so knowing definitely helps. Yeah. I think it's also what kind of news uh, has, you know, what effect on certain people. So all of us are just brought up around data that that's enough to tell us any story about anything. So we can see any graph, any curve, anything and, and believe what we're seeing and go along with it. And that'll make us social distance. But for other people, you know, whereas that's aversive for us, we see, oh, well, that's a threat. Their threat is I'm running out of food. My kids are going crazy. You know, everything's going wrong. That's the more present yeah. threat. That's what I was going to say without getting like super political. Cause I know I have like that bent where I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, this is what it is. So like we, we exist in this world right now and this is kind of the challenge, right? Like you've got people protesting about not getting haircuts. And the truth is, is the issue that we run into is that most people are politically and scientifically illiterate. And so when the media is portraying numbers and they're putting out numbers, they're putting out quick blurbs, they're putting out quick displays, and and people don't have the wherewithal um, to actually go in and look at the data and go look at the science and pull that stuff and actually understand it or even really understand what's being told to them to begin with. So um, so yeah, so to kind of the the to the point that the the question that Jack had kind of brought up was this idea that we the media is portraying it in a certain way but they're portraying it in a culture in which people are not scientifically literate which is also one of the reasons why we put together this podcast and why we started doing this is because people don't understand certain things and we like to dispel that stuff jumping ahead shane (laughs) (laughs) sorry 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 sorry. i I think yeah just the point of like um i very naively did not think this is something that would be politicized and was was kind of blindsided when it was of like oh this all of a sudden has there's an aisle separating people uh, on the topic of something like a, a pandemic, um, and that that did surprise me. And I and I, I admit that I think for me this that was a bit of naivety because I we are at a point where and maybe this has always been true. You know, I only have my lifetime to compare this to, but I this seems like something that doesn't have a political orientation to it, but the, there are certain media outlets that have definitely carried this. And really what I think there is more about it is how to handle the situation 
than the fact that there is a situation, although there are certainly people who argue that there isn't. But yeah, Amber, you were going to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, I think it comes down because we're talking about behaviors and people's independent choice to engage in a behavior or not. And it becomes political when you have like an authority or government saying you can or you can't, you know, and and like you said, Shane, if you don't know or understand the science behind it, it can really feel like, you know, intrusive. You're like, okay, why can I, why can I not? I can do what I want, you know, Uh, but because of the fact that it does have more of a public health matter, it's more of a public health matter and it infects or affects other people, um, then, you know, it takes, we have to take a little bit more into consideration with that too, you know? For sure. I did want to point out just that uh, when, when Shane was referencing that person, Jack, this is where, because we're going to be publishing this episode uh, as an actual episode and people will not have the the comments as a frame of reference. That was someone who had left a comment uh, about that. So that's, that's where that, that came from. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure what, <laughs> if I need more context, but uh, <laughs> speaking of which kind of uh, Shane, I don't even know what you're talking about. What do you, what, why, why are you talking and about what <laughs> funny story? So um, this kind of came up today. I actually did my part on why we social distance. <laughs> so um, I got my topic mixed coordination up, and then I didn't have a topic. <laughs> yeah. And then I didn't have a topic and then Kyle decided to have a child. So I got his topic. So within a couple <laughs> a couple hours, I had to become an expert on my topic, which is why people are gross. Uh, luckily, we all have some experience on this. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Your hygiene is <laughs> impeccable. So I'm doing why people are gross and why are we gross as human beings? And so, um, you know, as I was putting this together, I was having a lot of fun with this. But I think some of the stuff that you'll find in here is a little bit shocking. So, um, yeah, we're going to talk about, talk about why people are gross. So let me start. Human beings are generally generally gross, right? They're just gross. Human beings are gross. Our bites, the bacteria in our mouths, constant shedding of skin, all the dust that's around us that is basically skin, like dead skin floating around us. It's all gross. And, and it's a wonder that we've survived this long, given how gross we are and how sick we should be. But I think about this, and I was thinking about kind of how people are gross. And I think about my brother, because my brother has like some <laughs> sinus issues, and he sneezes so much, but he free sneezes. So... If you don't know what free sneezing is, it's just when you don't cover your mouth and it's disgusting. And he sneezes like he does this every now and again. He does it at home. He doesn't do it everywhere else, but he does it at home. So I give him I give him crap about that. <clears throat> but has anybody ever thought about how gross we really are and, and what makes humans gross? So I'm going to talk specifically about hand washing because it is relevant and it's kind of in the MO. But get just be prepared for this. OK, generally, human beings. Even when there's a prompt, even when there's an EO, even when we're here and talking about the need to wash our hands, we're not very good at it. We are so bad at washing our hands that the CDC had to put out a task analysis to tell us how to properly wash our hands. And all of us found out that we weren't doing it properly for our entire lives. So did anybody have that revelation? Like, did anybody here have that revelation where you got that CDC task analysis and you're like, oh, I missed some steps. <laughs> I think most of America did, let's be honest. That's okay. We can admit that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think about this, that, that America was so bad at washing their hands that a government body had to stop what they were doing and said, folks, tighten up. Here's a visual. Okay. And that's what they did. They stopped what they were doing. They stopped the presses and was like, we need to put together a, 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 a picture schedule for, for what people need to do. Now, according to Science Daily, and I'm going to cite some stats that, that go along with this. Uh, this comes from the American Society of Microbiology. At least one third of Americans do not wash their hands after using the restroom. Okay. So keep that in mind. One third of people in the United States do not wash their hands after the restroom before the pandemic. 
Okay, so who knows what it's like now? Now, what we see here is despite the, the threat of superbugs and infectious disease, we still see people touching their parts and shaking your hands. That's essentially what there's a there's a there's 33% of people that are touching themselves and touching you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're mostly touching themselves and then touching each other i did other. not know we were gonna get on to why we touch what we touch on this episode it gets better i'm gonna i'm gonna like so check this out so in this in this clean hands campaign there was a campaign that went out they did a survey and they've been doing like a lot of education around washing hands and kind of the importance of public health and all that within this survey they found that men in Atlanta were less likely to wash their hands and that women in Chicago were more likely to wash their hands. So that was some statistics they found from this study. Now it was self-reported and we don't really have any sort of idea of the rigor of the study, but that's what they kind of came out with. I thought it was pretty interesting that they were able to kind of, you know, discriminate, you know, who was washing their hands more. Now the same source indicates that 60 to 70% of nurses. Now this is medical staff that are actually intervening 60 to 70% adhere to hand-washing guidelines outlined by the World Health Organization. Think about this for a second. People who are educated, who are trained, who as part of their job description probably includes washing hands, there are th at least 30% of them that don't do it when they're supposed to, okay? That's a kind of a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a scary statistic, right? Now, that's, a, that's not current. That's not right now in this moment. That's before all this stuff happened, okay? So keep that in mind too. This is before all the craziness. There were about 30% of nurses and medical staff that were not washing their hands regularly, okay? But they were saying that this, doesn't, this hasn't really changed much uh, as far as this statistic. It's kind of stayed pretty steady for the last few years they've been doing the study. It hasn't really shifted or changed. It's kind of fell within that 60 to 70% range, okay? Now, in a study, Shivali, Menon, and Shukla in 2014, they found that in an ICU staff, and they kind of did some observations with ICU staff, they showed an overall compliance with hand-washing guidelines, keep in mind this is ICU, uh, with 78% of participants engaged. Okay, so there's about 20% 20 20 of the people that you're working with in the ICU that aren't really washing their hands. And they found that the nurses in the ICU had an adherence rate of 63%. Okay, 63% of them were actually complying with hand-washing policies. Allied staff, other staff that maybe weren't doing that as much, 86.5. So the staff that weren't the nurses were doing it more often. So just, just to be clear, like they could have been washing their hands, but but just not as complete with the protocol as 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 would have been counted as a like correct response. Is that what's happening? No. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> 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 yeah i would think so with the protocol no they're saying they just were not doing it uh yeah okay <laughs> so but here's some good news okay, well here's i mean maybe you could take this as good news i don't know if you need to take this as good news compliance <laughs> with hand washing was at 93 percent after contacting patients okay but okay but walking in like prior to contacting the patients 63 percent oh this just hurts <laughs> These all hurt. <laughs> We're gross. That's the point of this entire talk. We're gross. But like okay? some of us shouldn't be gross and we're still gross. That's it. The people that are supposed to be less gross are gross. I get it on an aggregate. I'm not happy with it, but I understand it more, I guess. But man, these people. I'm going to like make doctors and nurses wash their hands every time I see them. This is where the behavior science comes in. 
we could be helping this. All right. Do, do you have any good news or are you just going to make it? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That was the whole thing. Nobody washes their hands. We're all gross. No. So, so what they found was that within that too, and just kind of like to finish out that stat, 92% of the staff were well informed about the protocols, about the policies and could report the need to wash hands and just didn't. Now, that being said, they're not talking about intervention. When it comes to intervention, okay, Ford Boyer, uh, Menenkemi, and Huerta, I think is how all of that's pronounced, 2013, it conducted a study, they conducted a study that used visual cues to improve hand washing, and they did simple things. So over a 10-week period, they observed 97,351 opportunities to do hand washing in a, a public restroom. What they found was that occurrences of hand washing were 22.6 higher when the soap dispenser was readily available and the towel dispenser had paper towels sticking out of it. So literally just making the the, the, the automatic dispensers with the towels, having the visual there increased hand washing by 22%. Okay. So, um, which wow. I thought was really cool. So you see this uh, this clean hands campaign at the public education piece. Um, there were some dissemination efforts that did see some improvements. They were able to gather some data about how, how well people were washing their hands. And really ultimately what this is saying is like a simple intervention like visual schedules or visual stimuli can actually improve behavior. Um, what ends up happening though is unless it's pretty overt, uh, like you'll see like the hand washing, like you'll see the signs that say employees must wash hands. We kind of overlook that sometimes. Like it should say everyone wash hands. Shouldn't just say employees must. <laughs> actually, I, I have a thing on that really quick, which was one of the first times I remember actually seeing that I was so confused by it saying employees that I was like, well, I'm not an employee here. Should I not be washing my hands? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Because I feel like probably the point is that this rule applies to everyone, yes. right? A general rule, wash your hands, right? So, I mean, and again, yeah. people are gross for multiple reasons. I picked this one because it's probably the most relevant. Um, and I kind of leaned into what Kyle was. I had the honor of taking over Kyle's um a talk for this one too so now to get to the question of why why don't we wash our hands okay and that's really what i'm trying to get at here why are we gross okay well first of all we don't wash our hands because of maybe there's some issue of stimulus control right so there's an issue of what we're attending to in the environment maybe even motivating operations like what do i have to do to get to the next thing you know what am i in a hurry maybe i didn't think about it maybe there's not much value in washing my hands right now. There should be always, but there's maybe not right now because I'm not going anywhere. I'm not meeting anybody. I'm just in my house by myself, right? So there might not be as much of a need there. Um, but, you know, when you start thinking about that as far as stimulus control too, we're more likely to wash our hands after certain things versus others, right? So if I get blood or spit on my hands, I'm definitely washing my hands. But if I touch a handrail, I'm probably less likely to wash my hands. So, or a shopping cart or anything like that. So stimulus control is one of those things that kind of influences our behavior there. I mentioned competing activities right now. I would imagine that there are some places and some, some, some jobs like essential workers that are probably moving from patient to patient, client to client so rapidly that they may not even have time to, to, to actually properly wash their hands. Right. So they're so busy with stuff. Uh, and that might be a competing thing. Right. So that's something to kind of, as you start looking at that, but the biggest thing that they found and they cited as far as like a lack of why people are not washing their hands is because some countries and some areas actually lack the adequate facilities to be able to give people the access to cleaning up like clean water or soap. They found about 27% of the world's population found they, they can't access this stuff. They can't access clean hygiene products. They can't access soap. They can't access running water. So they can't even properly engage in the hygiene tasks they need to, to make this work. Okay. So it's also estimated and kind of the why to this 
It's also estimated that close to 3 billion people don't even have facilities in their homes to be able to wash properly. So that's almost half the population. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. Now, that being said, um, <laughs> we can improve this and we know the behavior science can improve it. Simple things like visual cues can help. Donations can help all that stuff. There's a lot of different things that can actually improve hand washing, but my take home points are more like this. It's important to understand the context to do the intervention. Anytime we're starting to look at behavior change, we have to understand what's going on and what's the problem before we start trying to change anything. And here, one of these things is as part of the take homes, resources are a privilege. We in the United States have the privilege of being able to access clean water sometimes. Uh, that soap, we have, we have a lot of that privilege to be able to do that, to stay clean. Visual cues are helpful, but they're not perfect. They don't always maintain. Uh, hand washing and other hygiene tactics like covering your mouth when you sneeze are helpful in reducing the number of cases of infectious diseases. We know that. That's historic. There's plenty of data to support hand washing as being one of the most important inventions of human history. Just simple hygiene, right? And variables like response effort, access to resources can either improve, discourage behavior. They can influence behavior. They can get in the way. But there are so many things that get in the way. And understanding why we're gross, part of it is understanding the context in which we are actually engaging in these hygiene tasks. So that's all I really wanted to touch on. I know there were some comments about this. And I think I bummed everybody out, but my point is behavior <laughs> science can actually improve this quite a bit. Well, I think looking at this in the, in a similar way that we have talked about just looking at habits and like when you build up that routine such that this cue means always do these next things next, that becomes that chain of like, I'm, I'm, pulling up my pants, the next thing I need to do is wash my hands or, you know, whatever <laughs> uh, might be the first step of the chain. Um, maybe, maybe you're not wearing pants, but you know, I maybe flush the toilet and then wash hands, whatever it is that if that becomes rote enough, then it actually becomes hard to stop people from washing their hands. Even when there's not very, even without the antecedent manipulations, you know, I've been in those, uh, if you, if you've been in those, uh, beach, uh, like to a beach, some of the like bathrooms they'll have there, that are like so poorly maintained that like there's not even running water and you basically go after doing your business and then you can't like use water and you're just kind of looking at your hands like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> um, and, and for, for many of us, apparently only 66% of us, uh, there's, you know, the, the re the, res the reaction is like, I have to do something and I, I don't have the things I need. I need to do the thing. And so like yeah. we start looking for, a way of mitigating that situation because that, that chain is so real. And also, uh, yeah, let's, let's get to Megan's comment as well, but yeah, go ahead and respond. First. No, as I was gonna say, I mean, I think, I think that's an excellent, I mean, you, you, you nail it, right? Like the idea is like, um, you know, they're just, the habit is the, is really the key thing and being able to teach the habit, but being able to build the resources in there to do that. That's really what I was going to say. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Megan's comment. She said, let's not forget a uh, long, long time ago, docs used to blame mothers for issues with birth and the spread of disease and moms would die. And it turns out they just needed to wash their damn hands because they were going from one mama to the next without washing. <laughs> I actually heard a podcast episode on this recently and it wasn't even, they were going from uh, uterus to uterus without washing, but they also were, um, they were going from corpse to uterus without washing. And so they were, they were killing huge proportions of these mothers because they were they were carrying the diseases from these bodies in there um before germ theory and there was this one doctor who was perplexed and distressed because he was one of the few who apparently cared 
uh, and decided like, let's see if we can rule out a variable here. And, uh, and, and found for whatever reason, when I run my hands underwater and, and like rub them together and like do, you know, do some kind of hygiene with this before I go to the next person, they're far less likely to die. And so he took some data on this and showed, well, we got like a 90% reduction in the amount of deaths that we're seeing that seemed like those weird, spontaneous women just can, they get a one and done sort of shot with having children uh, thing. Um, and all of a sudden they weren't. And he's like, okay, don't know what's going on here, but clearly it's something important. And he believed that there was something about the corpses that needed to be washed off, which whatever you might think that might be fine. <laughs> he's right. Yeah. Um, and implemented that with his staff. And so they saw this huge reduction on, uh, on deaths following the birth of, of their children. And, uh, but even then a lot of the people didn't believe him. And so when he was no longer in charge, they went right back to doing what they were doing. Um, you know, why would you believe data? Can I make a point? And I just want to make a note for the podcast, for future listeners, for just kind of the direction of the podcast, please never, ever, ever say corpse to anything again. <laughs> like, let's just not do that. That was, <laughs> let's not do that anymore. That was uncomfortable. <laughs> we're all about eliciting gag reflex. But I think it definitely comes back okay. to the value of why we do what we do, right? Like having to yeah. know like why we hey, engage in it. We're obviously it. not good at following instructions alone. We have to have some reason as to why we don't. She said the name. Amber. I was just beat to the why we do what we do drop. <laughs> <It's big. laughs> well done. You, yes. you brought, you brought that right around. Get? Oh, cool. no, that was great. You, <laughs> you get claps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's always one of my secret goals every time I record. Oh. How do I drop it in like that? Perfect. Oh, it was so natural. <laughs> All right, we we got one more crazy person here. Ryan, do you listen to podcasts? I definitely listen to podcasts. And that's such a why? smooth <laughs> why <laughs> why I podcast like I podcast. Um so yeah, the topic that I wanted to kind of just curate is this our last topic too uh before we transition to other oh, things okay. yes so so you have like five minutes <laughs> why <laughs> um it might be quick but i just want to talk about why we listen to podcasts or create them and we did this i believe at our first year anniversary where we kind of talked about why we're into this but it might be a cool check-in and there's also new members here and so i know i'm throwing this on y'all so start thinking about why you engage in the podcast behavior that you do, whether it's listening or creating. And I'd love to ask all the listeners, like, why do you consume podcasts? And it does not need to be why we do what we do. It could be any podcast out there. And to kind of lead the way, um, I think what is super cool about podcasts, and I did not realize with the first wave of podcasts going around in, I don't know, the early 2000s, right? was just how it democratized and made it to where so many more people in the world could share. And what's really cool there for me is just realizing that the number of people that I could potentially learn from and be influenced by drastically increased as a result of this medium showing up. Um, and that's so cool. I was listening to a podcast episode uh, with some folks apparently high up in like LA media Hollywood stuff. And they were just like, yeah, people would try to kill this off if they could, but like, you can't kill it off. It's going to make everybody upset. And I'm like, that's so cool. It almost feels like there's this like weird additional uh, outlet and freedom that came from this. And so that's partially what I love about it and like why I listen. Um, it's just the breadth of content and 
how I can get lost in them. The podcast cabal. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, <laughs> there's, I mean, piggybacking off that, like, there's just such interesting content out there. So it took a while for me to re- like learn how to figure out what I wanted to listen to and like explore new shows. But through asking primarily other people what they listen to, I've realized that I can increase the amount of stuff that I wouldn't normally contact and I come to enjoy it. And so I, I kind of like to listen and why I listen is to try to not create so much rigidity in my repertoire of like what I'm learning and consuming. And part of that was I used to just read so much behavioral science, behavior analysis stuff that uh, these podcasts were a good way for me to figure out um, or learn about new topics in those sort of areas um, that I wasn't used to consuming. Um, and so it's always, I feel like a little bit uncomfortable or risky when I try a new podcast, but I've found that it's a, it's a great thing usually, especially when it's coming from somebody that recommends something or a podcast host that's like, Hey, we also make this and you may like it. Um, so those are two of the reasons why I listen. I would say I like to make things because it's super fun. And I do think there's a, uh, a hole when it comes to great psychology content out there from a worldview that we bring. Um, so I guess that would be why I consume, why I record. Fill in that hole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fill in the gap. The, uh... <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> so, um, y'all want to say like why you podcast? There, there were several things in there. I thought, um, m- might be useful to respond to. Um, but, one, one I was going to say in particular and something you were sort of mentioning, because there is this like endless amount of both information and also just entertainment in the world of podcasts. But one of the things that drew me to it in particular was I don't need multiple senses to use it. And that means that I can use it in a, a lot of different ways. So I use my eyeballs for a lot of things throughout <laughs> the day. And so it's really difficult for me to have to use my eyes and my ears to do to consume some piece of information or entertainment when it's something like tv shows movies or unfortunately youtube because youtube has a a very similar kind of delivery as a podcast especially if you like subscribe to a channel but i have to i I can't do anything else (laughs) if i'm watching youtube video right um not if i really plan to get anything out of that video and so I, i listen to so many more podcasts then I do consume YouTube content because I can listen to podcasts while I do a lot of other things because I don't need my ears necessarily to like garden. Um, and I don't need my ears to do dishes. Um, but I do need my eyes for both of those things. Pro- probably. I, I don't mean to be insensitive to people who don't have vision, but can accomplish those <laughs> things. Um, but I, I'm not good at it at least. So <laughs> I, I, but it goes I back to this. our multitasking episode, right? Like, yeah. is that even really actually a thing? <laughs> I, I, I think Abraham's mastered it. <laughs> he will listen to 40 <laughs> or 60 hours a week of podcasts sometimes. How do you do it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I basically do it during all the waking moments. I'm not communicating with other people. <laughs> yeah. or like, that's that's or serious, reading. though. That's not a joke or an overextension. <laughs> yeah. That's real. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot. It's, it's one time Abraham told me that he listened to uh, podcast at two times speed, and I don't understand that because I have a hard time keeping up with one and a half times speed. But I do that. I will say that I've slowly graduated to two x for certain types of conversations. If it's something like yeah. uh, really of the nature that we create on this channel, I can't keep up at a two and a half. I can do a or sorry, a two at one and a half for sure. Um, there was, I guess, you just reminded me. 
That's one thing. I feel like I'm being super efficient with podcasts because I can I can 1.5 <laughs> or 2x them. I'm like, yeah, conquered, done. That's a very yeah. good point. Yeah. I can consume more faster. That is very yeah, I mean, yeah. it's great. <laughs> exactly. Like somebody will be like, uh, oh, it's a two hour podcast. No, it's much less than that. That's right. so me. That's so me. I'm like, I'm going to sometime. Yeah, we had a couple of listeners respond too. So, Nicole Evelyn, growth, ease of use while doing something else, access to cool stuff I would have never known about. It keeps my brain busy when uh, it wants to go down rabbit holes. I do love that they are just kind of like on demand all the time. And that's part of that democratization too. It's really cool. Um, let's see. Oh, love that. That's a great, that's a great answer. Right? Um, and so much more eloquent of what I was trying to say for those five minutes. <laughs> um, J. Lee, there are so many different perspectives and experiences that I would not otherwise come into contact with. 100% agree. Um, let's see. Thomas, radio seems to be the same music over and over, so it becomes, air quote, lost time. <laughs> it's not exposure to new material. With podcasts, I can gain some knowledge, new viewpoints, and a usually, um, typically lost time while commuting. So if radio exposed me to new music constantly, maybe I'd listen to it more. But most stations repeat the same 30 things. Uh, 100%. I didn't even comment on how the radio traditional media industries differ from this sort of just any Joe Schmo can upload. And I love that too. A um, couple others. Samantha, my ADHD makes podcasts much easier to focus on than other things. Um, and... Uh, she also said that Abraham and I are on the same level with like the multitasking and kind of always listening to it. Um, Boom, baby. Cool. Sweet. Hey, let's get, uh, let's get uh, Mike in, in this conversation. Um, I think it kind of depends. Like there's several different factors kind of at play. So like I listen to podcasts when I'm stuck in traffic in, in, in LA because he's <laughs> distracted from thinking about why I'm in traffic and that need to exist. <laughs> Same thing in DC too. Like on the 495, there's a there's a, a place I go to up in Maryland, and then I usually have to come back down over down DC and then go back up in Maryland on the far side. And it's just like I'm sitting in traffic. I'm like, well, I'm gonna either sit here and get frustrated and do nothing, or at least I, if I listen to podcasts, at least you know I'm kind of somewhat uh, distracted, I guess. Cool. Some podcasts I listen to because I actually kind of like the content, like in terms of learning or just a lot of times it's usually to like get different points of view. And then try and think of like translate it back to behavioral terms because <laughs> I'm still yeah still learning about that approach. So yeah, um, yeah, so, cool. Yeah, um, and then occasionally I listen to podcasts just because I'm like I like the, I just like the general topic. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a one way conversation. Actually, right. it's funny because we're talking about radio. Um, so on like uh, Sirius XM, right? So uh, satellite radio. It's funny that you talk about TV and and radio and stuff because they actually have um. Was it HLN? I think is the the one with like Nancy Grace and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The TV channel you can actually yeah. listen to the audio on Sirius XM. So you hear the Smart. TV ad, everything else, but it doesn't have quite the same effect. Because I did it one time when I was having to drive to the airport at like three in the morning, right? And I just needed background noise, and I was listening to I think like Forensic Files or something like that that I normally used to watch on TV. And when I watched it on TV, I'm really engaged, but when I'm just hearing it, you know, I'm just like, it's just kind of background noise. Yeah. Nancy Grace is still in the air, huh? Is she? I don't know. I I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure I she had to wait during those hours. <laughs> there are approximately a quadrillion cr true crime TV shows <laughs> uh, right at this moment that are currently playing and will play for the next two million years. I was going to say, you reminded me of, and also Abraham brought this up, of uh, 
um, just occasionally people will ask me in the videos I make to uh, turn them into a podcast, and it just kills my soul, <laughs> folks like you, Abraham. Because I'm like, I'm like, the whole point is a visual medium. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the point of why yeah, you no, consume people... it. But I totally understand. Like, um, it just it that audio and the video doesn't. It's not conducive to being able to do all these other things. And like, I don't watch YouTube videos when I go on a run. I always listen to podcasts, and I totally relate to that. Yeah, actually, my my brother, he. Um... He makes a lot of his like music mixes on YouTube, and he basically just has like a browser open while he's doing stuff and listens to him through there because it's essentially free content for the most part. And bands are usually happy to have their their artists, I guess, to have their stuff up there, um, or it's being bootlegged one way or another. But um, uh, it's it's cool because for him, it is an audio an uh, audio medium that's been so heavily democratized that uh, kind of anything's accessible. Um, and so he listens to it a lot that way. Um, this is kind of cool. But I uh, feel like, uh, I don't know, who wants to go next? Let's do Amber, maybe? What do, what do you listen to podcasts? Oh, for similar reasons, definitely. I think for just for my own edification, for areas maybe that I'm not as familiar with, um, you know, or just want to increase my knowledge in an area. And I definitely relate to being able to take in more information on like an auditory level versus like reading. I'm so much more of like a slow reader and so if there's like something that can be synthesized you know if like for example the way that you just synthesized that study shane i'm like cool great got all the key points i have enough <laughs> that i i need to know about it you know i don't have to read through the whole thing my work here is done yes <laughs> <laughs> i just i, I love podcasts and the fact that yeah we can scroll and like listen to and choose what we listen to you know versus like kind of the radio it's kind of chosen what we listen to you know I got to say the whole times two speed thing, I will occasionally put it back on times one speed. It's so everybody's slow. Drunk. It just right? yeah, yeah, everybody's me. Drunk. <laughs> I'm like, by the time you finish saying the sentence that you were trying to spit out, I've forgotten what you were yeah, talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. I'm, just like, I'm just like, you don't need to spend so much time on your fouls or in between words. Just <laughs> <saying>. <laughs> Oh my god! I can't go back to one X either, man. No, it's way too slow. There, there's like a half speed setting. I'm like, why would you <laughs> yeah, right? yourself with that? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is sometimes like when I do go, like for example, if the content is like so unfamiliar, then I'm like, okay, wait, I need to listen to that slowly. Like sure. once I get back to like the two, it sounds like a whole new language. Like I have to like yeah. readjust. Like I'm like, wait, it sounds like a foreign language. I have to readjust to, like fast speed, and then I and then I get in the group. I'm like, okay, cool, I got. <laughs> we had a. Uh... Following up on something you said, Amber, Joshua James uh, McIninch says, read it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's up? He's and all the way from New Zealand, by the way. He's in the future. Hi, Josh. <laughs> Straight up, he's in tomorrow. Oh, Whoa. sweet. <laughs> well, hello from yesterday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, for the sake of time, do is there anything, uh, Shane or Alan, you'd like to add to the conversation about why you listen to podcasts? I mean, definitely, I agree with what's been said by nearly everybody that it's just consumable in any moment that you can't do other things that involve, I like what you said, involve other senses. Um, but I like that we're fed so many sound bites of anything from science to politics or whatever all day long. So I like listening to a longer period of time to see how somebody really came to their conclusion and kind of get in that mind frame. So if I'm starting to think on that topic, then I am going down that same route of, you know, just a tree of if then statements. Um, 
not to make this political, but to make it political, this was like one of the coolest. <laughs> that's what, you just reminded me. Like, I feel like I get to know people through these long form conversations, right? Yes, and so when right? Joe Rogan, for example, has Bernie on and these other folks, and you get an hour, an hour and a half, two, three, four sometimes, right? Um, I like it's just it's so it's so much different and better from what we're used to getting in these other traditional forms of media. It's fantastic. I love that point. No, the same thing. And there's obviously whatever you want, there's like overarching politics, but there's politics in any industry, whether it's, you know, corporate America or, or even ABA or something like that. And it's better to just hear somebody speak on it. And, you know, you can't make every conference, can't make, can't watch every video, but this just gives you another opportunity within particularly our field to access something. Or, or even if it's something that's complicated, you know, if you don't know about ACT, you don't know about um, any other particular faction of our science, you can kind of find, you can Google it very easily to just type, you know, ABA podcast with that topic. And there it is. And there's somebody talking about it, hopefully on your level. And it's consumable psychology. Oh, damn. <laughs> love it. Shane, you got anything else? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, one thing that has always appealed to me is the idea of like a pirate radio, guerrilla radio type of situation. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, cool. I love the idea <laughs> that it just feels like, um, you know, it, you can we can kind of do what we want when we want and say what we want when we want. Um, and I like the idea that we and there are a lot of people out there who will use that medium for good. I mean, there are people that don't, but I think that I like the idea of being able to take this medium, take this thing, this kind of, um, you know, untouched medium where you can just do whatever you need to do within it. It's, 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 it's just free. Right. And we can say what we want when we want it, need to get it out there and just really do some, I think, have some great discussions and just inform people. Um, I love the idea of just having like this open access to information. It, like that's one of the great things about the internet, except what's cool about this is like, you don't really have to pay for it at all. Like, right. So you get to access all this really cool information, all this new stuff. I mean, personally, I like listening to this stuff every now and again. It's not behavior analytic. I listen to a lot of music podcasts that are really cool, but I'm learning a whole lot about bands like the Ramones and, and uh, the Stooges and like, just the history of punk rock in general, or listening to like, I listen to a podcast called the Doughboys, which is literally about these two guys that go out and eat fast food. That's literally all they do. And they rate and they rate the restaurants and it's hilarious. But you know, um, I just like the idea of just kind of like, it's very cavalier. It's very wild West and we get to do what we want with it. And I think that what we do with it is a lot of fun. I think it's useful. Hopefully people get something out of it. Um, but I like being a part of that dissemination effort for the science and doing good work. Yeah, anarchist. Yeah, totally into All right. it. <laughs> All right, really quick. Uh, I'm going to ask everyone to just say one podcast that they really like, love, their favorite, or just just say one that you're maybe really into right now. Um, I'm going to say The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe for me. Uh, let's go. I'm going to go reverse order, actually. Shane, what do you got? Uh, well, I have a podcast called I Don't Want to Hear It, so that one's cool. <laughs> That's actually a good one. No, 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 plug it, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so much fun. No, I actually really like right now. My favorite one is no dogs in space. Um, and it's literally all about like punk history. They'll do like four or five part episodes about a single band. And it's really cool. Awesome. Alan. Uh, I really like uh, what Dax Shepard's done re recently. It's very accessible to a lot of different types of armchair things. Expert? Ar armchair expert. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. A lot Love of variety that. there. That's a lot cool. of just open-ended discussion. I like it a lot. Amber. I like Brendan Burchard's podcast the brennan show i don't i haven't heard of this one so it's a motivational podcast oh cool 
All right, Ryan. I'm going to cheat. I have two. I have 99% Invisible by Roman Mars, which is actually the first podcast. Oh, yeah. That's been yours for a while. Yeah. Um, it's what I first got into and it was, it was, I didn't think it was gonna be fascinating to learn about architectural design through a podcast. And I absolutely love it. And I guarantee other people would too. The other one, honorable mention, Joe Rogan podcast. It's the, it's like Oprah, but for millions. <laughs> it's, I love it. Can we start calling it Jopra? Oh my gosh. That is There's so also the good. Hyperconscious podcast. You guys should check that one out too. The Hyperconscious <laughs> Yeah. All right, Mike, there is a right answer for you. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually my most listened to in terms of all the different ones. Like, I listened to the most episodes out of this one. Wow. We'll take that. Yeah, definitely. I I was kidding, but that's really cool to hear. Exactly true. I was was looking, I was like, you know, out of all of them, this is the one that has the, you know, basically every episode has been played, I think, except the last one, which came out. So. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, for work, actually, so I, I, I'm i going to cheat and do two. So for work, I actually listened to one called Intelligence Matters oh, okay. uh, by oh. uh, uh, some former intelligence uh, officials. It's actually really fair and balanced. Uh, and wow. they do a really good job about, <laughs> well, it's, it's very well balanced and they are fair to all sides, I should say. Uh, they do a good job at explaining things in non industry specific terms. And then for more of a kind of a non, just like a social thing, uh, the Ask Women podcast. Which is actually a, uh, it's, I guess you could call it like a dating lifestyle type of podcast, hmm. but it's just kind of interesting the topics they talk about. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. All right, Rad. Well, I think uh, we have some, some things that we could take on here. I'd actually love to, with the time that we have, because we've already been doing this for a couple hours almost, um, we're coming up on a couple hours. And I'd like to see if we can get some audience participation first, any questions, sort of a QA section uh, for anybody who's listening who'd like to leave in the comments. Uh, any questions you have for us? Uh, and actually, Mike, if you have any questions for us, we talk to you a lot on, on Discord, so you probably uh, would probably answer all your questions at this point. But <laughs> if you have any, um, and we're happy to answer those as well. So, uh, and then Ryan and uh, and Shannon or whoever's monitoring could just let us know if, if any come through. Yeah, let's see what comes in. <laughs> Lena's, I think, was the the last one, but it's a question, so we're gonna bring it in. She said, "Are y'all compiling this list? We need it <laughs> of all of our favorite podcasts." Oh, uh, I tell you what, I will put that in the show notes for this episode when we publish it. So you can find it yes. there. Yes. I'll have to go back and like listen to him and write him down, but I'll do it. <laughs> Samantha said, that's not related to the Make Women Great Again conference, is it? <laughs> I think that was to Mike's. <laughs> no, 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 no. Ask Women is actually like, it's, it's run by women about, and it's, they like give dating advice to guys and social advice and stuff like that. Nice. Interesting. Let's see here. Joshua, it's, Joshua said it's one of the fun things about group Zoom, watching everyone secretly searching. <laughs> <laughs> sweet, sweet. We'll see. Okay. I'll let you know if anything else comes in. Okay. You got, you got anything in particular, Mike? No, I mean, I was just kind of curious to hear if, if we can, I don't know how much time you have, but I was going to say to extend the, the, converse, the question in Discord about explaining behavioral terms to non-behavioral oh, people. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for bringing that back up. Um, can you, can you actually frame for, for our listeners the, the whole context of the question that you're asking? So, uh, basically, yeah, let me just pull it back up from the Discord. Uh, sure. It was basically the idea of, um, I was just kind of curious about what approaches do uh, people take for explaining behavior analytic terms to non-BA folks, right? So to whether it's friends, family, people, maybe coworkers, right? If you're, it's like when they're, because I, I encounter a lot of the pop psychology pseudoscience type of stuff and people are like, oh, well, that's because of mirror neurons or whatever, you know, term of the day. And it's like, 
uh, there may be other factors that are affecting behavior. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just kind of curious to see what, like, phrases, ways, ideas, strategies, et cetera. Sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's such a cool question. Uh, and I think that's part of actually what inspired me to want to do a podcast was sort of thinking about how to answer that question and, and part of my motivation for how I go about writing for this podcast when I do it. And uh, there are a lot of phrases I turn to uh, that I, I rely on. So for example, I don't, I don't say negative reinforcement, but I might say something like relief. Um, I don't say, or, or even avoidance is another way of just talking about that, um, that same concept. Um, I even, I don't usually say reinforcement and instead we'll use the term reward. Cause even though you could very easily technically slice up the differences uh, between those things for most people just in a conversational, uh, I guess context, they mean the same thing functionally for them. And so, and that word carries more weight with it than reinforcement does. Uh, or reinforcement might come with a lot of baggage that I wouldn't want to like spend a lot of time trying to correct them on or educate them on that I don't think is particularly useful. Um, I for for stimulus control, I really have been uh, glommed on to the term Q C U E. Uh, you've probably heard me say that a billion times, and I, again, I think this is that's just a term that lands pretty well um, with uh, with most people. Uh, motivation actually is fairly easy, although I kind of actually do use that somewhat synonymously with reinforcement in a way. And essentially what I'm saying there is uh, we're talking about a, motiva a motivating operation or a, a antecedent event that affects the value of some kind of consequence. When people hear it, they say you're motivated to do X, which kind of means what is the thing that's going to be like, what are you getting out of this? And so I, I often use them in the same sort of way, if that makes sense. Um, trying to think of any uh, i'm trying to uh, while while i pontificate on this to myself uh if shane or ryan have any others or, or anybody else here uh, has any others that they like to turn to yeah i'll go they uh i've been trying to figure this out mainly because i said at the beginning of this like i've been interested in science communication the idea is like how do you communicate your science in a way that's palatable to other folks and so one thing i remember reading about early in um this area specifically in like behavior analysis was they were trying to figure out how to explain certain behavioral concepts through metaphors in an area called acceptance and commitment therapy. And they realized quickly that the metaphors would break down based on the cultural things. So I realized through that and a lot of failed attempts, honestly, of teaching technological terms and using big fancy terms that I shouldn't be using that I should really try to figure out a way to just get the core, like, meaning of that term across to somebody so that they understand like the core process for example of reinforcement is much more important i think in communicating that as opposed to like them knowing the definition or the term um so i I've, i've found myself trying to get a sense of how can i communicate things to a person and in a sense validate whether or not they really understand it that way so a lot of times i'll explain something once i get to know someone if they want to learn about a certain area, um, such as like reinforcement and how it works. And they'll ask them questions to kind of see like, do they apply that thinking in the way that our field would, but in their own terms. And I usually leave it there. Um, and I think I've come across for sure different certain words that have been super clear. <laughs> Abraham mentioned it. I use cues all the time as well. I love that we stumbled across cues and like, I think it was episode five, if I remember right, 
I could be wrong, but like it was early on, and I was like, "Cues, this is Something such like a that. great way to describe this, right?" Um, so that's been my experience: is how do you get people to basically behave with respect to the word without teaching them all the jargon? Um, is kind of what I try to do, and um, seems good enough for me, but it's hard to test, and that doesn't, I think, scale up easily, which is part of the problem. Um, the other alternative is if they really want to learn it, then just jump in and learn all the terminology. But like, that's literally like asking someone to learn a single second language. Um, and I get that that's not the way that that should happen or should be an expectation. I did also think that another, another one I'll say a lot is I'll say either skill or performance instead of behavior, or if I'm referring to a pattern of behaviors. Um, and that's, that's one that I've, I've liked, um, I, to help. I, again, I just I think lands well with people, and I talk about a skill. Like a skill is always going to be a a entire like set of behaviors that you have to do. So um, I kind of like those. Catering it to like who you're talking to, what Ryan said, and that's a big part of like what we do with you know single subject design, individualizing everything. Is if you're talking to someone that happens to be or a parent or whatever that happens to be from a science community, and they want to hear on that level, and that's fine, great. But if you have a, a parent that doesn't necessarily, and uh, you know, your, your real goal is to get the procedure across. You want to speak in terms of that. You want to give them only what they really need to know. And the, you know, the background of, you know, Skinner and 50 years of research is not necessarily appropriate for every situation. Yeah. I think a big thing for me that I've learned is just, you have to be, um, like you have to look at everything from the perspective of like people first. Like when you start talking about this stuff, you're talking about helping people. You're talking about improving people. You're talking about improving behaviors. You're talking about all these different things. But if you come at everything from like this people first perspective and looking at like how to language around that, I think that to me has helped me understand that like if I come in talking like a textbook, I'm going to sound like an But if I come in talking like a human being and just being flexible in my language, it's going to be way more effective. Definitely I think, like, listening to you first, you know, and kind of coming in where, and meeting people where they are. So like sometimes what I'll do is use a word that is common to the group that I'm speaking to and then just kind of define it to a little bit to like what I'm meaning and providing an example too. So definitely like that cultural awareness kind of like what you guys are all mentioning. Well, I know um, a lot of us actually have to get out of here pretty quickly. I do want to field a couple of questions and comments that came in really quick. So um, Megan wrote in what podcast you listen to you wish you didn't for me. It's a, a podcast called true murder. Um, I'm, I'm just one of these people who I'm very unlikely. I've only unsubscribed to like two podcasts ever. Um, and this one, this guy, it's not the content. It is entirely the delivery of the content. Like sp- seems to spend approximately zero seconds editing for quality. Uh, it sounds like they're talking on a phone into a tape recorder. That's then played back into a, like a, a iPhone recording device and that becomes the podcast. Um, and like the, the levels all over the place and, uh, and that I just, I just, I commit to it. I just stick to it cause I'm committed to it and it, it's not my favorite, but, um, that that's the one for me. I do want to real quick. So Joshua again, ch- uh, chimed in with video games, offer some powerful examples of behavior analytic terms and concepts for people who are gamers, which I think is a really good point. Um, and I often, even though I'm not a video game player, really, I, I often use video games as examples when talking about uh, contingencies um, and and trying to describe processes, especially when I'm supervising people as well to help bring that around. Uh, Nicole said uh, mentioned rapport and pairing, uh, definitely school setting relevant, uh, which I think is a really good point as well. Um, let's see, Tom Jedrinsky. Jedrinsky. Yeah, okay. 
Is that the person I you know. mentioned earlier? Is that <laughs> yeah. you know that person is? Oh, okay, great. Um, <laughs> as a VCBA in school setting, what would you do when people say that kids just do it because you say so? Uh, more problem behavior than skill acquisition, but always adding to the toolbox in response. Um, I, I don't work in schools a lot, but uh, so if, uh, if any of you want to feel that one. I've come across this of, of things like shaving and toothbrushing and things that we just do like right off the bat anyway. Um, you know, you get somebody that says, well, they should just do it because they should do it. Well, you know, it might not be something we come back to those signals um, like washing your hands or something that's as obvious. So if you're growing a beard like Shane and I, to us, it's fine. To that particular person, it might be all right. Um, you got to give them a little bit more motivation. And that might be something very arbitrary like edibles or, you know, some leisure item or something like that at first. And you hope that some sort of naturally occurring thing takes over from there. Um, brushing your teeth. It's a lot to take in to say it's curbing gingivitis later on um, as we would. Um, and as a kid, that's not even where you start with it. It's just to keep your your mouth minty fresh and whatnot. Um, <laughs> so you got, you got to, you got to start with, you know, pieces and eventually you hope that some sort of natural thing takes over. Yeah. I think I will say, um, there's a snarky comment to this, which is how's that working out for you? Um, because that, that's often sort of like, they should just do it. And I'm like, are, are they, <laughs> uh, but they're not already. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think the other one is the, I think the more respectful one that I'll often go through is like, you know what? You're right. They should just do it. Um, and they're not. So like, we got to, we got to meet them where they're at and then we'll get them mm -hmm. to like where that becomes something that's valuable because it's important. Um, and there's also something in there of recognizing, like, should they just do something that someone tells them to do? There is an ethical consideration here. And when we teach children that they should just listen to adults because they're adults, that maybe isn't a great idea. And so it's like, let's, let's be really specific under the, the conditions under which going back to that the conditions under which it is appropriate for that to for them to do what is asked and the conditions under which it's more appropriate for them to stop and question whether they should do what is asked and that's better to teach that that discrimination skill than it is to just teach the blanket thing so all right um i think we could wrap it up there um thank you everyone for joining thank you everyone who is uh watching us live uh happy birthday us uh <laughs> you know i'm very excited that we've made it this far uh, Mike, thank you for everything. You've been just awesome to have on, awesome to have on Discord, awesome to have the Patreon. You've been wonderful. So thank you for uh, for everything. Uh, and so I I'm going to go ahead and, and just say um, that that's it for me. And I just want to give my heartfelt thanks, everyone. We couldn't have done it without you all, uh, both to my team and to the listeners. And if anyone has anything else, feel free to um, give your sign off and then we'll, we'll close it out there. That's it. So, that's it. So much thanks. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. All right. Well, we will catch you guys online. Please reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those places. Email us. Um, you know where to find us. And uh, and hey, join uh, join Mike on Discord. He he could use some friends there. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye, everyone. Cool. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Take care, everyone. Later. See ya. We're out. Bye. Peace. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. 
Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo designed by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.